Section 16 of The Bachelor's Club by Israel Zangwill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10 Marrying for Money, Part 2. Magnum Fuit, to tell the tale of their internecine campaign, or to chronicle their bickerings. On the way to Berlin, Moses had occupied himself in carpentering a series of financial tables which were to be henceforth indispensable additions to household furniture they were intended to supersede his former jejune attempts this time he had laid down the chart of expense on the basis of observation and from practical experience on the reefs and shoals instead of evolving it from his inner unconsciousness tompas was the first to have sight of the new finance for the initial expenses in the necessarily interminable series were made manifest to him in berlin in a beer garden he perused fitzwilliam's formula with gathering bewilderment but with the air of superiority which he would have preserved even in the presence of fluxins tompas would have sat on the canonical forms themselves if they had been fashioned by a friend of his the new finance ran as follows readers note the table that is shown is entitled how to live on it is a table of columns and rows the columns being annual income of eighty pounds one hundred pounds one hundred fifty pounds two hundred pounds two hundred fifty pounds five hundred pounds seven hundred fifty pounds and one thousand pounds each broken down into pounds shillings and pennies the rows are different categories of expenditures including rent and taxes court plaster and flowers wife crape tombstones etc children meat and walking sticks water whiskey omnibuses and railways hansoms and tooth powder tailors epic of hades half-calf charity dinner parties stationery sealing wax etc furniture boat race ribbons automatic chocolates etc theatres tobacco servants actresses portraits dentists and nutcrackers trousers stretchers corkscrews and boot trees flutes licorice damages for breach of promise mouse traps and miscellanea and then at the bottom of each is total annual expenditure total annual income and total annual saving well what do you think of them said moses jauntily as tompas silently let the paper droop will they do instead of the certificate of two doctors sir you are stark staring mad hurrah <laughs> shouted moses now i know i have made a great discovery he ordered some more lager in his exultation drink said he to the new napier and the new finance what are logarithms to my batch of budgets budgets they are simply numbers scattered from a lotto-bag ah i thought you did not understand the inter and interconnected beauties of this architectonic arithmetical achievement there is nothing attenuated not set down in malice every number bristles with significance every line is pregnant with meaning it is not only a triumph of inductive reasoning and a lesson in finance it is full of sermons and the text of numbers if you knew how to pull the strings the figures would work out the sweepings of the lotto bag would become kaleidoscopic figures if your eye brought the needed symmetry the 
the lager beer arrived and as tapas was fond of lager beer he drank to the new napier and a little mollified thereby asked for an explanation as well asked for an explanation of the universe tell me one item you do not understand how can a man spend two hundred twenty two pounds seventeen shillings and eleven pence when he has only an income of eighty pounds and-my table is empirical it is a real table a real live table none of your moonshiny airy unpractical a priori theories such as you have lived by all these years but effect the saving empiricism again isn't it obvious that if a man spends two hundred twenty two pounds seventeen shillings eleven pence and has only eighty pounds he must save one hundred forty two pounds seventeen shillings and eleven pence if he had had it wouldn't he have spent it you admit that very well then but he didn't spend it therefore he saved it that is the value of my system it teaches the uneconomical to save the ordinary tables address themselves to the frugal and to the thrifty who don't require teaching anything else but how can your two hundred pound man spend nothing how can you say that when he pays two hundred pounds damages annually he is a collector and like all collectors spends his entire fortune on his pet fad he has the greatest collection of fiancées in the kingdom true he abstains from meat rent flutes tooth powder and other more conventional luxuries but that is because he is a vegetarian a caretaker a teetotaler and since he lives opposite a cigar shop an anti-tobacconist but has he left off clothes too yes he has left off clothes given him but what what does he spend that farthing on mouse traps he does not spend it he drops it down a hole the law of averages requires that every man shall lose at least a farthing once a year your ordinary utopian table coolly passes over this item well perhaps you will explain the vagarities of your two hundred fifty pound man why should he spend three hundred pounds on furniture blind blind muttered moses pityingly do you not see that he has ceased to purchase actresses portraits that he spends ten pounds on flowers and court plaster that he is extravagant in dress that he wastes eight pounds in writing letters and purchases inordinate chocolates man man were you not yourself engaged once on my system a man may betroth himself at two hundred fifty as is plainly written in the tables though he may not marry before five hundred rather old isn't it queried tompas with a sickly smile but he was not to be crushed so easily but why should a three hundred pound man spend thirty-seven pounds on licorice that at least is inexplicable you forget replied moses with a sweet smile that he is a sweet stuff dealer but you can't mix that up with his domestic expenses why blame me he deceives his wife that way it is not for the scientific observer to praise or blame him it is his duty simply to record the facts <laughs> but if i understand your symbols the hundred pounder saves eighty pound a year by paying his rent and taxes a pretty paradox forsooth a sober fact the rent of chambers in the central district is so extraordinary that he is compelled to rent a whole house in the district he pays one hundred pounds for the house lets himself extensive chambers for one hundred twenty pounds and the rest of the house for sixty pounds and thus effects a sheer saving of eighty pounds per annum tompas was so obfuscated that he flew to the other extreme to cover his confusion but what of the man who blessed with a thousand a year allows his wife a scurvy one pound seventeen shillings sixpence 
Really, Tompas? One would think you were born yesterday, as if a man with a thousand a year would marry a wife without an income of her own. The more man has, the more he wants. That one pound, seventeen shillings, sixpence, is simply the two-guinea present he gives to his wife on her birthday, trade price. But do you mean to say such a man spends nothing on whisky? Yes, he has only fine wines. But you don't mention wines. They're included in miscellanea. And he gives dinners without cheese. That's in the mouse traps, And without cigars. I see so much that he is all show. But surely he must give his friends cigars. He does, out of the boxes they give him. A man blessed with a thousand a year and a number of poor friends never need buy cigars. But surely he would not spend two hundred fifty pounds on rent and taxes? He spends only one hundred pounds in rent. The rest goes in taxes, especially income tax. The assessors happen to be friends of his. So, as you have acutely noticed, he has to make a good show. No man likes to be underrated by his friends. Well, there is something in that, replied Tompas, with more respect for the table than he had yet shown. And your eighty-pounder seems to me to act very naturally. Ah, said Moses with satisfaction, you are beginning to enter into the spirit of the calculation. But why does he spend fifteen pounds on correspondence? How else could a man save one hundred forty-two pounds seventeen shillings eleven pence a year? He has so many promises to pay to write to his creditors, so many appeals for loans to make to his friends and relatives. But the moment a man gets to five hundred pounds a year, he ceases to write letters. You are hopeless. He writes them from his club. Thomas began to look deadbeat. "'But your third column, nothing on tailors, fifteen pounds on chocolate, fifty pounds on actresses' portraits. The creature is utterly unreasonable. Of course, it is a woman.' "'A woman? Yes. Why should you imagine it a man? The annual masculine assumption is that earth is man's and the tables thereof. Why, everything points to the sex.' "'But she must dress?' "'Of course she must, but she goes to a dressmaker, not a tailor.' I should have thought the outlay of twenty-five pounds on mouse-traps, etc., would have opened the eyes of the blindest. And who but the most myopic would miss the point of the quarter-penny breach of promised damages? What man ever gets let off with a farthing? Granted. But how can a half-calf edition of the Epic of Hades be got for one penny? Good heavens, Thompas! You don't mean to say that you don't understand that. She has a guinea subscription at Maudie's and the penny represents the proportional cost of reading this book. No one buys books in England now except for the two-fifty-pounder who purchases the poem as a present to his sweetheart. Don't you see that he has also got to spend lots on theatre, while all the others can afford to wait till the gigantic success come along, and the orders are flowing freely? All the others, when number three spends five thousand pounds on theatres? Oh, that is another story. She spends it partly as Lisi, partly on her salary as tragedian at leading theatres. But how how can it be done on one hundred fifty pounds a year? Gently, sir, said Moses reproachfully. Remember, you are speaking of a lady. Thomas apologized instantly, but still ventured to point out that the actress would be the last person in the world to waste fifty pounds a year on actresses' portraits. Most moderate, sir, Moses rejoined suavely. Many actresses spend much more than that on their portraits. Think of the infinite poses, postures, dresses, and faces an actress has to be taken in. 
all i have told you sir is not a tithe of the manifold meanings and beauties of this table alps rise beyond alps in a perspective of boundless glory the pickaxes of science would be years mining in their bowels the morality is stern almost puritanical each figure is so chock-full of criticism of life as to verge on the poetic the ordinary calculations are so elaborately useless they go wrong with such logical precision real life laughs them to scorn your table shows you say a sovereign for a dog and seven and six for his license it does not warn you that the dog will go biting the legs of the legal-minded beware of that dog your table permits you to spend five pounds on a midsummer holiday at the seaside and works it out to a farthing but meanly omits to state that you will want sand-shoes that your hat will be blown over the pier you will lose a return half of your ticket and that a female cousin will be staying down there who will expect to be seasick at your expense so more lager waiter let us drink again to the new finance and the new napier they drank so often to them that they almost came to blows they were still brawling and squabbling on the channel steamer and they had no sooner set foot in london than they called upon me and told me the whole story and asked me to arbitrate thomas argued that a man could marry on two fifty much more on three hundred and proved it by his life fitzwilliams argued that a man could not marry even on the higher amount and proved it by his tables after abysmally deep reflection i said that there was only one way for me to decide between them if i consented to put up for a week at thomas's villa in camberwall and to watch his expenditure carefully i could settle this thing once and for all any week taken at random would do expedite herculeum from that i could gauge whether he was really living on three hundred pounds or not thomas was so cocksure of himself that he assented eagerly and after some reluctance i agreed to put up with the old boar for the ensuing week it was an ideal week for me for i learned a great deal and though mrs thomas received me affably and boarded me well the language i overheard her use to her husband about me in their bedroom was libelous and the name she called him bordered on scurrility at the end of the week the three of us assembled in the bachelors club and i gave my decision it was in favor of moses fitzwilliams thomas swore that i was prejudiced but i proved conclusively that the household expenses for the week argued an annual outlay of nearly four hundred i said that he consumed a frightful amount of gas and kept a table far in advance of his income the wine alone which he had supplied to me at dinner would run away with eighty a year thomas bridled up and said that you could not treat a visitor like your own family and besides my expenses must be deducted from the calculation this i could not allow and moses explained violently that this was just one of the contingencies which the stock tables did not foresee and which real life was fond of springing upon a man if a man with three hundred a year had to entertain another man for a week just to show that he only spent three hundred a year he must provide for this expense out of his three hundred thomas shrieked no i said it was a difficult casuistical question but that all the best jesuits and the talmudists were dead and it would probably never be settled now mcgillicuddy had to interfere to disentangle the disputants next day moses wired for me i went to his rooms they were luxurious there were flowers and vases and court plaster on his face more than i allowed for he said groaning paul he said when i had lit one of his cigars there is only one way out of this yes 
I said, my heart beaming ominously. What is it? You must marry. My heart stood still. I? I guessed. Yes, you. I want to show that a man cannot marry on three hundred a year. A man in whose integrity both parties can rely must be the object of the experiment. Now, you have more than that, I believe. But if you just sequestrate three hundred for this purpose, and come a cropper in the bankruptcy court, my thesis will be demonstrated to an unbelieving tompus. But why should I marry to support you? Paul, I know it is a great sacrifice I am asking, but for the depth of our friendship I would never dare to ask it. But we are speaking now soul to soul. You are the only friend I have in the world. I cannot marry because I am an honorary official of the Bachelors' Club. You are only a private member. The blow would fall gentler on McGillicuddy. It is for his sake I ask it, my dear old Paul. You worship him no less than I. Besides, I have only the bare sum, just three hundred a year. I cannot risk matrimony. True, I might be mistaken. The income might be adequate. But what if my marriage were a success? What if Tompas were refuted? I should be ruined. I am certain that my marriage would not be a failure, and that I shall be ruined. Come, do not deny me this favor. Remember, you agreed to arbitrate. Moses, I said sternly, this is the one thing in the world no man has a right to ask of another. Ask him to sacrifice fame, fortune, limb, nay, life. But not his celibacy, Moses, not his celibacy. If I am arbitrator, I say that it is you who should marry, not I. Well, if you think so, as arbitrator, said Moses readily, I suppose I must. Do you know anyone who would be suitable? For the purposes of this experiment, she must be an average woman, I said, not too extravagant and not too parsimonious. For the rest, you must please yourself. So Moses Fitzwilliams married with the consent of Tompas and the curse of McGillicuddy, and he furnished his house on the hire system so that the expense might be distributed evenly over a term of years, and he gave his wife whatever she asked of him without stint but without overplus and at the end of the first year, one sweet September evening, I audited the accounts and drew up the balance sheet and gave my decision. It was in favor of Tompas. Moses swore that I was prejudiced. He observed violently that the amount on the debit side must be colossal, that his wife and he had wallowed in luxury. It soon transpired that she was an heiress, who, wishing to be wooed for herself alone, had concealed the fact and was paying three-quarters of the bills out of her privy purse. Poor creature! She will carry to the grave with her the delusion that Moses had married her for love. Wild horses will not tear it from her, nor is there any likelihood of their trying. Tompas, with his Philistine mind, once hinted to me that Moses had known she was an heiress all along, but I knew that Moses's motives were as pure as the new-fallen snow, that he married merely for the experiment, and would have done nothing consciously to vitiate it. He fell a victim to his love of figures and drew his assurance money with regret. But fate was against the settlement, and he still argues the point with Tompas, and there is no McGillicuddy to disentangle them. End of section 16